morning, church. Greetings from Malawi. Yes, my... Yeah, um, my daughter couldn't allow me to come, and she said, Daddy, I want to go with you. Daddy stayed. Daddy, don't go. So I said, I, I need to go. Allow me to go. It's my first time. So she said, okay, you go on one condition. I said, what? She said, buy me two umbrellas. So I need to buy two umbrellas when I'm going back home so that my daughter can be happy and excited. Two days ago, she called me and she said, Dad, we are praying for you. You know, she's just, she just turned four and she's able to pray for Daddy. She said, Daddy, we are praying for you and this is her prayer. God, be with Daddy. He is in America. Hallelujah. <laughs> so that is how, you know, how good it is to know Jesus. It is so nice to train our kids. They know that our only hope comes from him. Our protection comes from him. He is everything that we have. And I'm excited. What the Bible says, train the child while he is young. When he grows up, he will never depart from the way. And that's our responsibility. Hallelujah. So I'm excited and happy to be with you all here. Um, it's the pleasure or pressure. <laughs> In Malawi, we struggle to pronounce R or to differentiate between R and L. So you would actually see people say, oh, it's my pleasure to stand before you. Or maybe they will say, it's my pressure to stand before you. But nevertheless, you understand what they're talking about. So I'm warning you, next time you come to Malawi, they'll tell you, let's close our eyes and play. And you hear them playing. Playing to God, talking to God. So we understand, but it's an honor that we are able to meet together uh, in this place. So let's close our eyes and pray. Lord, you are great and you are so we know that heaven will just be good, so nice, Lord, that will bring nations together. You are going to bring us, Lord, in your very presence, Lord. Let our gather together today, Lord. Bring us closer and closer to you, that we should have the awareness that you are really our Father and you love us. And you always be with us to the end of the world. Speak to us, Spirit of God. Let your word sink deep into our hearts. Let us leave the scripture and let the scripture, Lord, uplift us and awaken us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today I would want to share uh, with us about spiritual um, awakening. Spiritual awakening. I come from Malawi and I'm just happy to be part of that country. And God is just doing great and great things. My dad was the best dad. You know, everyone says my dad is the best dad. But my dad was the best dad, but not my brothers. My brothers wouldn't call my dad a good dad because he was so abusive. He would not love them. You know, as a father, he was supposed to love them, to provide for them and do nice things. 
when they were growing up, they couldn't connect with the daddy, and they would run away from home. You just go away, daddy's home, daddy's home, and they can't stay there. While other children would run, daddy's home, they would run home, but not with my brothers. It was a terrible moment, a moment of darkness. But my mother was different. She was a prayerful woman who would love her kids. And there was a period in our family, I hear, because that time I was not yet there. My mother started to seek the face of God, praying for spiritual revival in the family. That my dad would come to the truth. My dad would be saved. And she started to pray, seeking God, fasting, seeking God. One day, my dad surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And, you know, by that period, my mother couldn't conceive. Now, in Africa, by that time, we believed that family, you need to have about 10, 8, 11 children. So she had only two sons, and she couldn't conceive. She couldn't bear more children. And her friends would say, what has just happened to you? So it was just too much on her. But when my father met Jesus... He changed. He was a different person. And my brother, uh, older than me, uh, came home. Then I came as Dalitso. Dalitso, my name is, just means a blessing. Then two other sisters followed later on. And my mother was just happy. What happened to my family? God brought his power into the family. Amen. My family was in darkness, but somebody else stood and believed God. And as I'm talking to you, all of us, we have our dark moments. We have issues in our families, in our locations, in our workplaces, in our businesses, that we need the light of God just to come through. We need God to use us. We need God to come. People are going through a lot of things they can't even share to you. They need somebody else who can bring the light into their life. And that is our responsibility. As we are talking about this passage, I'll read with you from the book of Israel, chapter 8, verse 21 up to 23. Spiritual awakening. Ezra 8, verse number 21 and 23. Hallelujah. Can we just stand and read the word of God together? It says, let's read... uh, I would love to hear voices. Louder. (laughs) Let's begin uh, from verse 21. There, by the Ahava, I proclaim a fast, so that we may humble ourselves before our God, and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him but his great anger is against all who forsake him so we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer hallelujah we may take our seats praise the Lord This is a period where the children of Israel were in exile in Babylon. 
they were far away from home and they were not connected to their God. But God started to do something new in their lives. A moment of restoration, a moment that God wanted them to go back to Jerusalem. It's a journey, but it was not an easy journey. So you would see that God wanted to bring an awareness, the relationship that he had with the children of Israel. But to do that, he needed to take them out of exile to their own land, Jerusalem, a spiritual city. For us to get the context of all this, we have to get now to the background of this situation. What happened for them to be in exile? What happened for them to be in Babylon? We'll read from 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. I'll share with you from verse number 11, and it says, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. And notice what the scripture says. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He's God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the leaders and of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. You see, this is the background. This is what made the children of Israel to be thrown to exile. This, is, this was the comfort zone, the place they loved to be. They loved to be in Jerusalem, but something actually happened, and God said, I can't stay with you anymore. What went wrong? So God had to send them to exile in hope that they'll cry out to God for restoration, in hope that they'll realize that they need God. And what was the reason that God had to leave them you see, number one, we see the reasons why they went to Israel, uh, to exile. Number one, he, he says, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They were evil people. They were practicing evil. It is a sinful life. You and I can agree. The world we are living in, people are doing evil things. They are not afraid of God. They have no regard of God. Evil now is good. What you call sin now is good. What you call good is bad. And that's what we are getting into. And that's what we are accepting. And we say, whatever your God says, I have no regard of God. Evil. In the eyes of God, they have no idea that God is holy. They just want to satisfy themselves. That was the first reason. Sinful life. Number two, notice he says... They did not humble, he did not humble himself. You see our leaders and many people among us, pride is an issue. There are many things that we struggle with, but one thing that we struggle with, as much as we are Christians, is pride. It's pride. I know many people that are educated, they can't associate with other 
people because of their skin. People that have things, they say, no, I can't associate with others. Oh, I'm so educated. I know a story in Malawi that one pastor refused to go in a village set up, in a rural area, simply because he was a PhD holder. How can a doctor, the whole doctor, go to a village? I'm so educated. Pride. You see, we have issues of pride. But we, maybe we don't. But God knows. The scripture actually shows that if we are so proud, God will resist us. God's grace cannot come on us. That was the second reason. There was no humbleness in this man. He was not humble before the third thing that we see is that he had to bro- break an oath. Not just because the king was harsh on him or whatever reasons, but notice what the scripture says. He took an oath in God's name. You see, many people nowadays, we are using the name of God in vain. We can make an agreement here to say, okay, we are agreeing in the name of God. But two days, what happens? No, you, we break the promises. We've made commitments here in the church. We are going to save God. But what happens? We say, no, I'm busy nowadays. I can't save anymore. But we forget that we took an oath in God's name. So that's what he did. So he broke an oath that he made. Not only that, you see that also he turned away from God. He would not turn to the Lord. So he said, God, I have nothing to do with you. I can handle it on my own. I am the man. I can handle it. I know how to do things. God, I don't need you anymore. I'm the king. Therefore, I can handle it. You see, many are the times that we run away from God. There are situations in life that we think we can sort them out. We only turn to God when things are hard on us, when things are bad on us. But you see what God wants from us? Even small, small issues in our life. We need to come back to the Lord. Never ever turn away from God. Because God will throw us away. This king, he turned away from God. The last thing that caused the people to be in exile. Notice on verse number 14 it says, Furthermore, all the leaders, all the priests, and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations. You see, at this particular time, the people of God were corrupted spiritually. Outwardly, they were okay. They knew how to recite the creeds. They knew the songs. They could dance and everything okay. But inside, they were corrupted spiritually. So God said, you can't stay in Jerusalem. Therefore, go. To exile. And the king came and destroyed, destroyed the houses, destroyed lives. People were killed and he took them in exile. And that's what we see. When we come now to the book of Ezra, it's when now you understand why these people now are so passionate to say, God, restore us. We want to go back because they were not in the presence of God. They were not in the place they would worship God freely. And therefore, they needed to go back. I pray that all of us, if we are not in the very presence of God, something should begin to work inside us to push us to say, I need to go back in the very presence of God. 
I want just to fellowship with God. I want to have that deep connection with my Father. God is our Father. You don't have to worship God because you are in a church set up in this building. But you need to have that sweet communion with your Jesus even at your workplace. You need to fellowship with Jesus right in your home. But you see what? God wants you to recognize that these are the very same things that pushes people away from God. So you need to recognize that I need God, but I need to turn away from all these things. Hallelujah. Let's turn our Bibles now to Israel chapter 1 and see how now God acted. What was the response of God? What did God do to make sure that he restore the relationship? He restores his own children. So you see, God, if you read the same book of Second Chronicles, which I'm not going to read, but you can read on your own. Towards the very end, you find that the king had to decree that the children of Israel have to go back to their own place. Israel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Silas, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. Jump to verse number five. Notice this. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. You see what God is doing? Same situation with my dad. God wants to touch the hearts of men. Spiritual awakening. That's why Paul says, we were dead in our own transgressions. But you see what God has done? He says, he has quickened us up. He has raised us up so that we can become spiritually aware, spiritually sensitive. Yeah. How does God do that? He says, he touches the hearts of men. If you read other versions, in actual sense, it says, the Lord is stirred up the spirit of silence. You see, God can use anybody for his God glory. If we can't save God, God will find somebody else far away from us. But God will stir that person's heart and will begin to seek after God. For revival to come, God has to touch the hearts of people. God wants us to save him with our spirits. The inner man has been connected to him. We have to surrender everything to him. So God comes and touches the inner man, the spirit man. He stirs the spirit man. And then something inside us begins to come up. There's hunger inside us. There's a burden inside us to do the things of God. You see what God did? He touched the inner man. He touched the soul of a man. And this is Cyrus. God is using a Gentile. To bring spiritual awakening. God is using somebody else far away from the commonwealth of Israel for his own glory. God, ladies and gentlemen, can use somebody else far away from us. Far away from his kingdom. Far away. But God can use somebody else to challenge us the way we live. You see, many of us 
We are Christians, but the way we live, we can't differentiate between who is a Christian and who is not a Christian. But God can challenge us by raising up somebody else who can challenge our lives. It's my prayer that God will work in us. In this passage, we see God working steps that God is taking for spiritual awakening. These are steps that we see in the scripture. And if we can just pray to say, God, allow us to go through the same. God is faithful to honor his word. He can actually do it. What are these steps? So like I've just showed you, the number one is that God has to touch the hearts. Whose hearts? You see what God did there? He first of all touched the heart of the king. God has to touch the hearts of the leaders. If we want to change this country, if we want to change our locations, God has to bring spiritual awareness, quicken the hearts, quicken the spirits of our leaders. That is why Paul says, first of all, I urge you, brothers and my sisters, pray for all those who are in authority. If God will touch our leaders, I'm telling you, revival will just come. So we need to pray for them. Leaders in churches, leaders in government, leaders in the corporate world, we need to pray for them that revival should come. God should just touch their hearts. Then our children will live a peaceable life. So the first step that God will do is to touch the hearts of leaders. People that are influential. People that have power to make decisions and God wants to use these people. Number one we see God reviving the lives, awakening the lives of the leader. King Silas is an example. I pray that God will revive, will awaken the leaders of this country. God will revive, will awaken the leaders of the church in this country. Not only leaders, but notice also that God wants to awaken the spiritual lives or quicken the lives of everyone. Notice in verse number five, it says, Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved. It's everyone. So your pastors need spiritual revival. I am a pastor. I'm telling you, sometimes people think that everything in me is just okay. People think because I went to Bible school, things are just okay. No, it's not true. There are some pastors who are dry inside. They are not spiritual. They know how to exegete. I hope you know that word, exegesis. They know hermeneutics. They know how to conduct Bible studies. In fact, sometimes pastors are too busy to make sure that programs are running in a church. But deep down their hearts, things are not okay. They are spiritually dead. But you see what God would do? Will begin to work in their lives. The priests, the leavers, everyone who is working in the church for revival to come. For spiritual awakening to be there, God wants people that are committed to the church to commit their lives fully to him. And that's it. Without that, hey, we are wasting our time. That is why we need to pray 
for our pastors. We need to pray for the people that are awakening in the church. For spiritual awakening. There's a lot in this world. We are living in the information age. Where people, we can argue over philosophies. But you see, when God awakens the hearts of men, there's no place for arguments. You agree, you are one, and that's what we need. We don't need just head knowledge. We need spiritual awakenings. You can have all the stuff you want to have in your head, but we need God to come and touch us. And that has to come to the priests and Levites. I'm coming from, um, you know, Africa. It's, we are so communal. We, you know, it's a family thing. You don't just make decisions on your own at times. You, you know, you consult. Everyone is involved in your decision. If you want to get married, hey, all your brothers, all your elders, be involved. If they're not happy about the, the person you want to marry, they'll say, no. And you, you agree. It's communal. But you see from that scripture, you see that the Bible talks about family heads. That verse is not just there. That word is there for a purpose. You see, God wants people in our families. People should rise up. People should stand as heads of the families. And God wants to quicken husbands, wives, mothers. That's what God wants to do. If God will not touch our fathers, our mothers, there will not be spiritual revival in the family. That's why we need to pray. Say, God, start with me as a husband. Start with me as a wife, as a mother, as a head of the family. And then revival, spiritual awakeness will go through to everyone in the house. Hallelujah. So you see also that it's tribal, like I said, Judah and Benjamin. We can't, we can't connect much, you know, it's in the family. But we have family. So this is what we see that God is doing. First step, leaders. Second step, priests. Third step, people that are heads for the families. And for God to do that, you will make sure that he sent forth his word, his message. Let's read together on the same verse, um, Verse number one. I will read from my Bible because it's just good. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm. A proclamation. There has to be somebody else who can speak it out. Somebody else who can stand and say, ladies and gentlemen, we have been sitting this way for so long. It's time for us to rise up. If somebody will not come and challenge us, we'll be happy sitting in the church just like that. Somebody has to take the challenge. Somebody has to go to the streets and call out. It's a call to revival. It's a call to spiritual awakening. You see, people want us to talk to them. People want to hear somebody else calling up to them. I don't know in America, but in Malawi, people are looking for something spiritual. People are searching for something that can satisfy their inner man, their spirit man. As a result, they go to other forces. They go to other powers. Because the God that we serve is not enough in their understanding to satisfy 
the spiritual hunger. We need to go out there and say, you see, Jesus, the Spirit of God, can satisfy the longing heart. And that's why you see the king had to make a proclamation to say, let everyone hear. And those that who hear who come to the Lord, crying to say, God, start with me. So let's not just keep this within the walls of the church. But we need to say, let's proclaim it. Like King Cyrus. So we need a proclamation. That's what people want to hear. Out there. If you don't say anything, people will go into drugs. People will go into bad things because they want to satisfy the inner. But God wants us to go and proclaim. Not only that, but last thing that we see, there has to be a response on verse number five. If there is a proclamation, people have to respond. And right now, God is calling all of us to respond to the call to say, God, awaken my spiritual life. Awaken my inner man. I know people in Malawi, once a preacher preaches a most powerful message, they'll go back home celebrating. It was powerful. It was powerful. It was powerful. Next Sunday they'll come, they'll also say the same way. It was But nothing is changing in their hearts. They're not responding to the powerful message. We need to stand and say, I've heard the word. God, deal with me. Here I am, oh God. I surrender everything. Start with me. So we have to respond. We have to respond to the call of God. To say, God, yes, here I am. I've been sitting in the church for so long, listening to powerful messages. But it's time, God, you begin to wake in my heart. That I need to see you wake in me. And that's what we see. That everyone who's had God had more. They prepared. They prepared now to go to Jerusalem, a spiritual city. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't enter Jerusalem if you're not spiritual. You can't enter into a deep relationship with the Father if you're not spiritual. So God wants to establish that by bringing spiritual awakeness. That we can go back. So we need to prepare ourselves. We hear the word. We need now to respond. To say, God, here I am. I've heard your word. You want me to be in a relationship with you. But quicken my soul. But again, it doesn't end there. There's a need for us to prepare ourselves. If you don't prepare, you are preparing to fail. And that's just the truth. Many people, you know, they, they procrastinate. They say, I'm going to do this next time. I'm going to do this next week. I am busy now. They are not preparing. As a result, they are lukewarm for the things of God. They're just there. But God wants us to say, here I am, oh God. I am ready to go up. I am ready, oh God, to go up. I am ready to build the house of God. And Paul says, don't you know (laughs) that your bodies are the temple of God? Don't you know that the Spirit of God resides inside you? We are the temple. As we meet together like this, we are the temple of God. But is God here? Can you sense him? 
Have you sensed the very presence of God? Or you are just waiting for the day that you meet God in heaven? We are the temple of God here. When we come to worship God, we need to experience him. We need to encounter him. But that requires us to prepare, to cry out to him. Say, God, our God, our God, change me, Lord. Now, how can we prepare? How can we prepare for the spiritual awakening? How can we get there? What can we do as a church? What can we do as an individual? That's why now we go to Ezra chapter 8. That's where I want us to look and cry out to God. To say, God, I want to be prepared. I want to to prepare for spiritual awakening. Awakening. Read with me from verse 21. There, by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us, our children, with all our possessions. He also continues, says, I was ashamed to ask the king, for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road. Because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this. And what did God do? He says, God answered. God answers prayer. Now, what can we do according to this passage? He says, Fasting is the first thing that we need to do to prepare for spiritual awakening. What is fasting? People talk about fasting in different ways. But I think my simple definition is stop eating. (laughs) Stop eating and see God. That's it. I mean, in our country here, you've got a lot of things that can distract you from God. You have all the gadgets around you. And some of you will say, okay, I'm fasting TV. In Africa, that doesn't work. People don't have much TV, don't have much of these things. Can we say they are fasting? They know, they're not. They fast food, not eating. When you are not watching TV, it's just spiritual discipline. You have to discipline yourself. If you are not on the computer, it's just discipline. But ladies and gentlemen, there is another level which is very, very hard. Skipping food. Many people can't afford to do this. Many people can't fast. They'll say, no, this is too much, brother. Maybe it's for pastors, not us. I'm here to challenge you. You read from Old Testament and to New Testament. People of God have always fasted. Seeking God, I said, Lord, here I am. Food does not define my life. That's why Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He says, I will leave food beside, but I want to seek after God. A church that can fast, a person that can fast is preparing himself for spiritual awakening. 
in the book of Jonah, I'm so encouraged. Jonah chapter 3 talks about, uh, you know, God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Go preach the word of God there. When he went there, he preached with hope that God will punish them. Do you know sometimes we tell people the gospel, you know, not in a good way. We tell them, I'm warning you. If you don't turn to Jesus, he's going to throw you in hell. I mean, that's the truth, but I think we have to share it in love, right? (laughs) So Jonah was like that. God has sent me here to warn you. If you don't repent, he's going to send you to hell. He's going to destroy you. And Jonah was waiting for God to do that. But you see what the people of Nineveh did? The Ninevites, they said, oh, God is angry with us. And the king said, no food. We are going to fast. No water, no food. No animal should eat. No human being should eat. And the whole city fasted. Everyone was fasting. Older people, younger people, sick people, everyone in the city, they said, there's nothing we can do, but we need now to fast. No eating. Ladies and gentlemen, the day this church will make a decision to say, we are fasting, boom, God is going to get in. The day we shall fast as a church, praying for this location, pray for this country, boom, revival. It's coming. You see that in the book of Jonah, you're going to read that on your own. Why do we need to fast? Not eating the food. I know food is so nice. So, good. in fact, I love American food. <laughs> American food is so nice. Just nice. Pastor Lario, usually he says, you are an African, but... You don't like food from Africa. I said, yes, I'm an African outside, but inside I'm an American. (laughs) So I need American food. But it's not easy to skip meals. But you see, we need to ask God. To say, God, help me. Give me grace to fast. Why fast? What is the purpose of fasting? Number one, the reason we need to fast, number one, is to humble ourselves before God. When we are fasting, we come before God to say, Lord, there's nothing that can satisfy me. You are the only one who can satisfy me. So I come with humbleness. So fasting humbles our souls, humbles our hearts before God. That's why when you read in James chapter 4, verse number 6, it says, God gives grace to the humble. But God opposes the proud. You see, if we humble ourselves, God shall lift us up. He shall give us grace in this life. But if we are proud, God shall resist us, oppose us. And you see, many people in the Christian circles, it's not necessarily that the devil is opposing them. You know, every time you say, oh, devil is against me, devil is attacking me. Sometimes it's not the devil. It's God. That scripture says, if you are proud, God will oppose you. You can see a door open for you. And see what? You run towards the door, but God will come over your way. 
opposing you. You can't get anywhere else. Guess how you pray? The devil is shutting my doors. No, it's not the devil. God is opposing you because of You see another door open for you there. And you are trying to enter into it and you find the door has been closed. And you say, Pastor Larry, help me to pray. The devil is on my neck. It's not the devil. It's because of the attitude. We are not humble enough. Ladies and gentlemen, when you are humble enough, God shall open all the doors. God shall bring all that we need in this life. It says, they humbled themselves before God. So fasting helps us to be humble before God, to humble ourselves. Not only that, but also it's self-denial. You have to deny yourself. It's a sacrifice. It's a cost that we need to pay. I'm reminded of the words of Paul. He says, after preaching to other people, I beat my own flesh that I should not be disqualified. What does he do? Does he take you know, sticks and beat himself? Just like that? No. He's talking about fasting. I deny the pleasure of this life. That I can submit myself to God. You see, sometimes we need to deny certain things. We need to fast so that we can deny ourselves and submit ourselves to God. It's to die to the flesh. One of the biggest enemies that I have, it's not the devil, but my own flesh. You see, many people think that the greatest enemy is the devil. No, the greatest enemy is my own flesh. Recognizing and realizing the greatest enemy sitting next to me. All I need to do is to fast. Say, God, deal with the enemy close to me. I go with him everywhere. I meet people, he stands up. I try to do good things. He says, no, you can't do good things. He's next to me. It's the flesh. How can I die to the flesh? I fast. Seek after God. So fasting helps you to be disciplined Enough. The last one, which I'm going to read with you. Fasting helps you to have spiritual encounters. One of the passages that just blessed my heart is Matthew chapter 4. If you read verse number 2, it says, Jesus was in the wilderness where he fasted. Not only that, he was praying, he was tempted. But on uh, verse number 11, which I want to share with you, and I hope it will bless your heart today. It says, Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. What is that? He just finished fasting. And you see here that the devil left, and the angels came. That talks about the spiritual realm. You see, when we are fasting, It helps us to encounter the things of God. It helps us to encounter the spiritual reality. The battle that we are fighting is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers of wickedness. When you are fasting, God empowers your spirit. You are able to resist the devil. And you can win the battles through fasting. And you see it here, that Jesus, after fasting, the devil left him. And also, not only that, but the angels appeared. I don't know if you believe in angels. You do. Praise the Lord. (laughs) 
You see, God can send his spirit. God can provide angels to protect us. And you see, when you fast, God just pour out his love to us. And his spirit come and cover us. That is number one. That fasting is what we need for spiritual awakening. Not only that, the second thing that we see from that passage is prayer. They had to ask God for a safe journey. And that's where I'm going to stop with you this morning. For God to awaken us, we need prayer. Serious prayers. Pastor Larry said, I want, to, I want to hear you praying loud. You know, there are all sorts of prayers. You can pray quiet, and there are moments that you can't pray quiet. You need to speak out. There are prayers that we fight against the enemy. And that's what we need as a church. Notice what he says. I proclaim a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. Notice this, I asked God. On verse number uh, 23, it says, so we fasted and petitioned God, which is prayer. So we need now to engage ourselves into prayer, asking God and trusting God. What are we supposed to pray for? When you are fasting and asking God, praying, what are the things that we need to pray for? Ladies and gentlemen, the scripture is clear. And this is what we need to do as a church. Notice he says, we want to ask God for a safe journey for us. Number one, ladies and gentlemen, let's pray for ourselves. We need to have time that we can pray for ourselves. The journey we are in, in is dangerous. There are all enemies around. Enemies who oppose us, people who discourage us, or we can discourage ourselves on the journey. And many people are giving up on Christian faith. Many people think they can't go on. But we need to pray. God, strengthen us. Revive us, O oh God. Let us go on in our faith. So see, we need to pray for ourselves. Don't rely on other people. Don't think that the government can protect you. Don't think that the politicians can protect you. The systems of this world cannot protect you. Economics cannot protect you. All these things will crumble. I know people that are so happy when they look into their bank accounts. There's money. Oh, my life is okay. But you see, when money is not there, people are in depression. When they don't have things, they think life is not there. Ladies and gentlemen, life does not consist in the abundance that we have. Life is in Jesus. Life is in Jesus. That's why we need to fast. God, you are the only one who can satisfy me. How can you do that? Pray and fast and pray for yourself. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your children. So we need to pray for ourselves. I was just happy to see us coming together here, holding each other and just praying. You know, there are times that you are praying for your friend, you actually don't know what's happening in their house. But when you just lay hands on them, something is changing inside them. They go back home, happy people. Because God will lift up the burden when we just pray for them. That's what we need. So let's pray for ourselves. Let's gather together just to pray. And God will bring spiritual awakening. Not only that, but God wants to awaken our children. Look what he says. He says, also ask God for safety for our children. Ladies and gentlemen, our children nowadays are in danger. The enemies are so many for our children. If we don't pray for them, hmm, 
our children will go astray. And don't think that we pray for them when they are old. We begin to pray for them when they are just young. My daughter, when she was just three years, we went to a wedding. And she saw the wedding dress this week. And the next week, we went to another wedding. And she was just excited. And she got home and she asked me a simple question. Daddy, are you going to come to my wedding? I'm like, you are three. You are three. You have many years to come. But you see what? That provoked my prayer life. I went into my room. I said, she doesn't understand that there's divorce there. She doesn't understand that the devil is attacking marriages. She has no idea. But God, as a father, and I begin now. I'm praying for her marriage. I'll start now. She's just free. I don't want my daughter to be abused. I want my daughter to have a godly man. I want my daughter to enjoy marriage as you created it. But I will not wait until she's old. Lord, I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to pray for her. Ladies and gentlemen, you see, we miss a point. We begin to pray for our children when they are already gone. You see, the scripture says, let's pray for our children to be protected from the enemies. Let's fast for them. Let's gather together here. Just pray for the kids. Just pray for the youth. Just pray for everyone. You see, you can do outreaches to the kids. You can do outreaches to the youth. But if you you are not praying for them, you are losing the battle. We need to just pray for our children. We just need to fast for our children. And my daughter sees me praying for her now and again. No wonder she's praying for dad now. She knows there's power in prayer. Do you pray for your children? Have you prayed for them before? Let me tell you a story that provokes me to pray even more. A few weeks ago, we wanted to help um, my, my niece. She stays in a typical village, and we said, we just wanted to help her. She need to go to school. So my cousin said, can you help us? She needs school. So I said, okay, fine. We, we bring her home. So she came home, and we said, oh, we are happy. You are here. Feel free. And we waited for two days to talk to, to her. The first night she arrived, I started to sense that there's struggle in the family. There's, there's, there's war within. I don't know if you understand, when you are meeting something dangerous, your skin begins to sense. You know, that sense that this place, there's something wrong. But you can't even know what it is. That was a feeling in our home. And I said, no, there's something more. So we went to sleep. At night, my kids started to cry. And I had to wake up and begin to pray. Then I was reminded that this girl, when she was just a little, she was taught witchcraft. And we thought, because she's growing up, she has changed, but not. She came into our family just to attack us. I don't know if witchcraft exists here, but in Malawi, it does. The only way we can protect our kids from witchcraft it's not the alarms. It's not the security. It's, it's, it's nothing but you need Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit to be there. And realizing that, every parent prays for their children 
just for protection. God to protect our kids. You may have issues that are, you know, troubling your kids here. But the only way we can survive, the only way God can provide that, is a spiritual awakening and God can bring protection to our children. It's my prayer that in this church, we are going to see many youth in this church. But they only come when we begin to call upon the name of God. When there is an awakening here, they'll come to Jesus. And this location will be changed. Not only that, don't just pray for yourself. Not just for your kids. But look, it says also for your possessions. You see, God has given us a lot of possessions. God has blessed us in different, different ways. But the enemy is after that. And I know people can kill each other because of these things. Possessions. People are killing each other for money, for vehicles, for all these things. But you see, you can't protect yourself long enough. It's only God who can protect. We are living in a broken world. We are living in a world where everyone wants everything. And if they don't get it, they'll find other ways to get it. And the only way to get it is to kill and destroy. But as Christians, we know that when we pray, God hears us. And there's a spiritual awakening. We are very sensitive and then God begins to protect us. I don't know. If you pray. If you fast. I don't know. If you are spiritually awakened, I will leave you with this last scripture. Most of the times, I share this verse to many people because it will just encourage them. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16. It's not there, but I'll just read it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You may be here. Maybe you feel that you don't need God. But the time of need will come. You will need Him. Many people think they don't need God in their lives. They don't need spiritual awakeness. But you see, when you approach God, God will show up to you. He's going to give you mercy. And he's going to give you grace to help you in time of need. When you're going through difficulties, when pain is there, there are times, ladies and gentlemen, you can't even pray when pain is there. But God just provides the grace to help you in that time of need. You see, God is calling us as a church to awaken us, to bring that spiritual revival in us. And I hope today we are going to make a commitment to say, Lord, I've held your word. I'll go back home. I'll fast. I'll pray. I'll come to church. I'll fast and I'll pray. I will desire, God, your presence. I will desire your love. And just quicken my heart. Quicken my soul. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Lord, you are so good and you want to quicken your children. Thank you for this moment and thank you for this hour.
Lord, you want us to be spiritually awake as a church, spiritually awake, oh God, as individuals, that we can bring revival wherever we are. Lord, Lord help us that you connect us to yourself through your son, Jesus. Like Paul said, we are dead in our transgressions, we are dead in our sins, but Jesus, by his spirit, just revived us, just quickened us. And God in this church today, if there are people that you need to revive, you need to quicken, this is the moment, Lord. Spiritual revival, spiritual awakening. Thank you, God. As every eye is closed, every head bowed, I want just to ask you, if you are here and you are not born again, you are not saved, you are, you are not awakened, you are not quickened, you can be a good person, you can come to church, but I want to invite you to spiritual awakenings, where God can quicken your heart. You can sense things that are around you. God can give you the freedom, the peace that you seek within you. And if you are here and you are not born again, you haven't committed your heart fully to Jesus. And you are here and say, God, quicken my heart, touch my heart. I just want to invite you to Jesus. If you are there as you are praying, I want you to just lift up your hand towards God. You can just lift one hand to him and say, God, here I am. I want to surrender my life to you. Quicken 